Well, last week, we looked at Peter and his vision and uh, the consequences of that with Cornelius' household. And I think I just want to say that today, as we move on, we're moving on in the consequences of that. Luke, the writer of Acts, he wants us to see the consequences of Peter's vision in the life of the church. And as we look at the life of one particular church today in Antioch, we're going to see the impact of this extraordinary change. I don't think you can ever overestimate the impact, the bombshell that was Peter's vision. You know, it's given a couple of chapters, including uh, the Council of Jerusalem in, in Acts, because it is so significant. And what is done by Luke is to link that directly into the birth of this church in Antioch. He wants us to see that these two things are connected and connected in a way that changes the world. I want to tell you this morning that you are sitting here because some people in the Middle East 2,000 years ago took hold of Peter's vision and put it into practice. We owe them a huge debt. We owe them an enormous debt. Most of the members of this church are nameless to us, like in most of the New Testament churches. But we do have some names, and we'll get to that, that in a minute. But we owe these people an enormous debt because they were the ones who began to go into this revolutionary concept, the gospel to the world the gospel to all nations, the gospel to every tribe and tongue and colour and greed, the gospel to anyone. For God wants all men to be saved, and women, by the way. God wants to deliver this gospel to a worldwide community of people. And this little church, or maybe not so little, but certainly it started little, this church in Antioch is the foundation of what was to happen in the future. We cannot, we cannot overestimate the bombshell that this sheet coming down out of heaven in Peter's vision was to him and to all the Jews. They lived throughout their lives, being taught by uh, Pharisees and their teachers of the law, being taught that they were the chosen people of God, they were superior to everyone else, and Gentiles were dogs and pigs and not to be eaten with and not to be uh, friends with. You couldn't, cross a, you couldn't cross a threshold of a Gentile house. You mustn't, you mustn't get involved with these other nations. We are the people of God. And we keep all these rules and regulations because we are the people of God. And what marks us out as the people of God are these rules and regulations, including circumcision. And we are called by God. 
And then God does this amazing thing. God says to them, no. You've misunderstood. God says to them, what I've made clean is clean. Clean indeed. It's a bombshell for Peter. All his life he's lived with this concept of the Jews being the favourites. And they're no longer the favourites. Suddenly everybody's a favourite. Suddenly this exclusivity which, to which he was used and is part of his culture is exploded by God himself so that every nation might know the gospel. Suddenly he has to reorientate all his thinking, reorientate everything in his thinking. All his cultural background has to be exploded by this bombshell. And so the Jerusalem council, they listen to this story, they listen to what's happened, and they say, there's this great verse. If you're with me, I hope you've got your Bibles, Acts 11 and verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. As Darren noted last week, they had nothing to say. Because God himself had spoken. They fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to salvation and life. Wow. There's this moment when all of history changes. All of history changed on the cross. But this is the implication of the cross This is the implication of Jesus saying, I'm sending you into all the world. They thought he's just sending them to the diaspora, the Jews spread around the nations. No, he's sending them to the nations, to the people themselves, to these people they viewed as less than dogs, to these other nations who surely were not blessed like they were. And so they have to reorientate their thinking and step into a new world. So let's read uh, Acts 13, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Oh, dear. (laughs) But, oh, I love these buts, don't you? But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which is a city in Libya, the ruins of which you can apparently still see, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, that is, other nations, the The Greeks was a a term for all all other nations. Also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, 
full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So, this is like but really, but better. So, (laughs) Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius, the Roman Emperor Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And then chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart to me, for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them, sent them off. Okay. Well, what a, what a story, eh? What a story. What makes this church so significant? Why is it that Luke takes hold of this church and talks about the founding and development of this church? Why is it so significant? Well, as we've seen, because following Stephen's martyrdom, there was this spreading out of people who uh, were Christians from Jerusalem out into all the surrounding areas. And wherever they went, uh, they would, of course, talk about Jesus. Jesus changed their lives. Jesus has brought them forgiveness and life and freshness and joy. Jesus has changed how they were. He's put them from old into new. It's not exciting. Everything has become new for them. And so they preach the gospel. And then we're introduced to these men of Cyprus and Cyrene. They didn't come from Jerusalem. They came from other places. They, they maybe were more open-hearted than the Jerusalem people. Maybe in their culture they didn't see so much of this difference between Jew and Gentile. Whatever, somehow, these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, we really owe a debt to. We really do. And it's great to have Colin and Jane with us who know all about Cyprus, having led the church there for years. So if you want to know about Cyprus, talk to Colin and Jane and they'll tell you what it's really like to live in Cyprus. 
not the glossy brochure, but real gritty life. Anyway, there were these Christians in Cyprus and Cyrene who traveled preaching the gospel. We don't know whether they traveled for business or, or what, but somehow they traveled preaching the gospel not only to Jews but to Gentiles also. Anyone, anyone who would listen, hey, here is joy for you. Here is grace for you. You can be forgiven and set free and live a new life and know God himself as your father. And it says that many, many joined them. This church grew. You know, when that happens, sometimes people get a bit jealous. And I wonder if there was some in Jerusalem who were a bit jealous. I wonder if there was some in Jerusalem who, nevertheless, although they'd heard Peter's vision and seen the results of Peter's vision, nevertheless, they hung on in there with their culture. I wonder if that was the case. Certainly there came uh, to Antioch later people called the Circumcision Party. People who said, yes, we believe in Jesus. We believe in his, his, uh, his death on the cross and his salvation. But if you want to join the people of God, you must be circumcised. And you can read about this in Galatians and you can read about it and see Paul's absolutely, <laughs> I mean, he was totally, totally angry about this distortion of the gospel. This is not the gospel, he said. This is not the gospel. And you can read about it in Galatians. Well, I've got three characteristics. You're so surprised, aren't you? Three characteristics of this church. And the first one is this. It was a church full of grace. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad. Don't know what Barnabas had expected to find. I don't know what he thought. We're not told what his expectations were, but maybe the Jerusalem elders and leaders had said, whoa, dodgy, you know. This, is, this sounds dodgy to us. It's not founded from us. It's, it's founded from all these people from different backgrounds. That looks a bit dodgy to us. We need a good, solid person in charge. Barnabas, we'll send you. Go and have a look. But when he got there, his suspicions, any lingering doubts were blown away by what he saw. What he saw were people who had already understood the grace of God. They had already embraced the grace of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that they knew that they had lives that were against God's desires. They knew they lived lives that in some way or another were always, you know, have some some problem, some badness, some issue, because they knew they were people who rebelled against God's laws and God's thinking. 
And so there were these people who then had discovered that there was someone who forgave freely. You didn't have to work for this salvation. You didn't have to spend a lifetime following rules and regulations hoping you were good enough. So ironic that years later the Muslim religion arose to give people a real lot of rules and regulations to try to be good enough for God. When God had already given freedom. When God had already given his grace, his grace, his forgiveness. Then there were people probably from all sorts of pagan religious backgrounds, all sorts of stuff going on. Now Jackie and I went to India years ago now, but I remember the impact it had on me of going into uh, a part of Mumbai where it was, it was a slum and there were people there and I remember this one particular shrine, this bloke cross-legged in front of this shrine and the candles were burning and he was muttering away and muttering away And I thought, oh man, captivity, captivity. He's caught in this. There's no joy in this. He's caught in trying to placate this God, whatever it was. He's caught. And I thought, Lord, please, bring release. And so here in Antioch, we have loads of people who found that release, who found that the gospel is freely given. We are set free from our past, freely. We are given new life, freely. Freely he's given. Freely, freely, freely. Do you get it? You've been changed. One degree of glory to another, you will continue being changed if you let the Spirit work on your life. But right now, you who are saved are as saved as you're ever going to be. You can't be more saved than you are. You are in the grace of God. It's an extraordinary thing and it brings joy to our lives and it brings freedom to our lives and a lightness to our spirit and we should be rejoicing. That's why we're so excited to be singing next week, aren't we? When we get together, it's going to be great singing next week. I'm not singing to a flipping screen on my PC. I should be joining you lot in, in joyful celebration that Jesus saves everybody. Anywhere, any time, any colour, any shape, <laughs> any assortment. Look at this church. Here's an assortment. <coughs> Isn't that good? I think I'm going on a bit. <laughs> Two. 
a leadership team that reflected the church and was committed to teaching. It was committed to teaching because Barnabas, he'd seen the grace of God, but now he wanted this church to know the really strong foundations that should be laid. They wanted uh, to know more about this gospel, but also about how the church should be built. And this leadership team got together and began to teach. And Barnabas knew that he had to get hold of Saul, who could teach into this situation. Saul, who already had this desire to, this desire to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so for a whole year, this church benefited from this team of people teaching into their lives. But not just Saul and Barnabas, not just Paul, although, of course, this would be a foundation stone for Paul's ministry, a foundation stone of Paul's ministry from which he would go out, and a foundation stone for the letters that he wrote, which we now see in our New Testament. Our New Testament is written because Barnabas went to Tarsus and got hold of Saul. Do you understand that? That's why, that's why it's so important that we follow the Holy Spirit. Barnabas went and got Saul. And this was a, a pivotal time in Saul's life when his ministry began. And we now have the letters in the New Testament which are so fundamental to our understanding of the gospel of grace. But note that it re probably reflected the variety in the church. Let's just have a look at this. Verse th uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Two, three. And we see there Simeon, who was called Niger. That's because he was black. Okay? Simeon was a black guy, a black African. Lucius of Cyrene, a Libyan. So he was probably brownish. And um, he may have been an ex slave because Lucius uh, was a Roman name. Or, um, he may have been Roman. But he, there's, there are people contemplate that he could have been an ex-slave. And then there's Manaean, who we know to have been the close friend or foster brother of Herod Antipas, one of the Herods. In other words, he was definitely an upper-class person. Okay, he was, he was definitely Silver Spoon. Whatever you want to, however you want to comment on it, he had the best education that could be in his day. He was definitely a toff. In this leadership team, isn't that fun? Well, I wonder what their eldership meetings were like. Can you imagine? I've been in a few elders' meetings. I can imagine the differences of approach between these people that God was melding together to bring a revolutionary church into being. Wow. A multifaceted, multiracial church. A church that had the background ability and stability to be changing the world so that 2,000 plus years later, we can sit here and say, thank God for Manaean. 
are tough. Thank God for this multiracial leadership team. Thank God that this church ever existed. Well, third point is, it was a generous church. So back to chapter 11, and we have this little story of the prophet who comes and says there's going to be a famine, and there was. And so they decided that all of them, according to their ability, not according to some rule, not according to some regulation, but according to their ability. Here was a church in grace. Here was a church that understood grace. That grace reached out even into issues of finance. That it wasn't, it wasn't a rule. It was according to your ability. The ability God had given you. The ability God had given you in your job, in your employment, in your whatever. This was their desire to give generously. What a challenge that must have been all over the place for the Jewish Christians used to constraining themselves into this nationalistic position. Now, what a challenge to be generous to the whole world. Well, not only that, but in chapter 13, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And so they did. It's just like that. Just like that he was. So they did. They laid hands on them and they sent them away. It was a resourcing church. Not only was it generous in finance, it was generous in people. It was a resourcing church. Other churches, no doubt, were founded by this resourcing church. It spread. I want to tell you a little story about Jackie and I, okay? Have we got time? Probably not, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, so this little story is that when we were first married, we joined a little church in a little town on the south coast of England. It was a little church on a, in a little town on the south coast of England, and one of the first people we met there were Colin and Jane. Oh, that's interesting. Young people, too, like us. We were young once. So, this little church was called by God to pursue its calling in God, which was to be a charismatic centre a revolutionary church of the time, a church that showed the way forward for other churches. I had the privilege of travelling with Terry to Haywards Heath, to a little home group in Haywards Heath. He chose me because I was a student, postgrad student at the time, therefore I obviously could stay up late. And uh, so midweek, we'd go up to this midweek meeting, and this was the start of what we now call New Frontiers. This was the start of what we now know as a worldwide movement of churches through whom thousands and thousands of people have been saved. 
New Frontiers in many, many countries the world over. It's the gospel to the world. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe. And so what about us? What about us? Are we full of grace? Are we rejoicing in things? I know we've got to get legalistic over masks, but apart from that, are we rejoicing in the grace and the freedom that God has given us to enjoy life, to be a joyful place? But people come and say, wow, this place is full of life and light. Yeah. I would, lo- I would love our church to have that reputation Not just here, but wider than here, wouldn't you? What about us? Are you squirreling in the scriptures? Isn't it funny how God gives words to confirm your preach? Are you squirreling in the scriptures? Are you understanding the richness and fullness and amazingness of What's in the scriptures? And look at us. Multiracial people already. Already. There's no other thing on earth. There is no other institutional politician who can produce what is sitting here in this room. Did you know that? The riots in South Africa are uh, something that we look at now and are horrified as different tribes fight each other. But here we are, bringing the gospel to our area. Multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-background, multi-you-name-it. What about us then? That's good, isn't it? Are we a generous church? Well, Dom's just thanked you for your generosity. Let's keep it that way. This lovely hall where we meet, as Dom said, costs more than Onslow, so the budget goes up. Are we generous? Are we generous? Because churches like Antioch were resource churches, even when they had little resource. Even when they'd started, something was built into this church that enabled them to lay hands on these two and send them away for God's purposes. Not because they thought it was a good idea, because probably they didn't. (laughs) They probably were very sad. But it was God's idea. Because God made Antioch a resource church for for the future. And what about us? We're small. Seaford Church on the south coast of England was small. But God. So what about us? Can't God do something here that that has some impact somewhere? Our history already says we've contributed many, many people. Don made a list once 
of all the people who've been through the life of this church and are now spread around like, like the disciples from Jerusalem were spread around. We can be spread around, yes, but also we can be strengthened and built up here. Because the final thing to say about Antioch Church is that even after it had given away, even after it had been generous, it was still there, still doing it. People stayed to commit to what God was doing by staying. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your wonderful gospel, your wonderful grace. Now, Lord, will you take hold of us as a church? Reveal fresh things. As we look forward to breaking out of constraints, Lord, will you reveal fresh things to us? In Jesus' name, amen.